Wait a minute, I'll share a letter that'll change your life, but let's look at something fascinating here. This is the Pacific Golden Plover. It's a bird roughly the size of a pigeon, and it spends part of its life during the year in Alaska, and the other part of the year, it lives in Hawaii. Now, here's the thing. The plover cannot swim, and there are no islands along the way that it could stop during this migration from Alaska to Hawaii. A one-degree mistake in navigation would be deadly, but the plover, it never misses its destination. But here's the fascinating part, and nobody knows how it navigates this uh, tremendous journey from a natural standpoint. But think about this part here. The plover weighs 200 grams. It needs to use 70 grams of energy that it has available to make the flight. It burns one gram an hour. That means it can fly 70 hours. The problem is the trip from Alaska to Hawaii is 88 hours long. How does the plover accomplish what is seemingly impossible? You know, Psalm 119 says, Thy word is true from the beginning. Every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Today, we're going to see the results of the absence of truth and what it is to live in the truth. Thy word, God, is true from the beginning. Every one of thy righteous commandments, judgments, endureth forever. Let's talk about truth for a moment. See if you can guess who made the following statement. Nothing can be believed, which is seen in a newspaper. The real extent of the state of misinformation is known only to those who are in situation to confront the facts within their knowledge with the lies of the day. I look with sympathy over my fellow citizens who read newspapers and live and die in the belief they know something about what is going on in the world. That statement is from Thomas Jefferson, 1807. You see, what's been done will be done again. And just like we wrestle today in a world that denies truth, that's always been the case. But here's something to think about. E.M. Bounds, a Civil War minister, said men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. And we're going to talk here today about being better men and better women and what it means to live like that in a culture, again, that does not embrace truth and being an example of people who say, Thy word, O God, is true. So let's look at a fascinating example of trading truth for a lie. Back in the first century, you know, when Jesus was in Jerusalem, and uh, two centuries before he walked in Jerusalem, and about three centuries after that, you had Alexandria, Egypt, was kind of the, the metropolitan, just wealthy city of the world. Alexandria, Egypt, named after Alexander the Great. There was a lighthouse that they built in Alexandria, which is not that far from Jerusalem. And the lighthouse was one of the seven wonders of the world could be seen from miles away out to sea. Now, most people are familiar. Alexandria had this humongous library, one of the largest ever in history, 700,000 books. Historian Amar said it's impossible to enumerate the riches of this great city with 4,000 palaces, 400 baths, and 400 theaters. Almost a million people lived in Alexandria, the capital of Egypt. It was the medical, educational, scientific center of the world. Durant said they were fanatically fond of theater, music, and games. But he goes on the flip side and says, They were shameless in speech, loose in morals, crime was high. It was a sinkhole of corruption. So what happened to Alexandria, this wealthy city of the world, this popular place, 
Well, they traded the truth for a lie. They basically began to embrace the cult of Aphrodite. And Aphrodite is this basically goddess that people believed, you know, if it feels good, do it. Whatever you want to do, then whatever you like, so be it. Immorality was high. Adultery was high. But so was crime. And so was corruption. And there's only so long that a, a nation can continue in that sort of trade in the truth for the lie. And what happened then to Alexandria? William Grady shares about all was not as bright as that giant lighthouse implied. In 215 AD, half of Alexandria's military-aged men were ordered massacred on suspicion of disloyalty to Emperor Karukala. He goes on to say, 45 years later, over 50% of the population was slain by Queen Zenobia's army from Palmyra. And then in 641 AD, the libraries, that famous library, almost a million volumes, burned by the Muslim invaders, and they, for six months, used the books to light fires in 4,000 furnaces. And that famous lighthouse, decimated by an earthquake, 1324. This center of world trade, this place of wealth, this place of power, because of corruption, because of trading the truth for the lie, was eventually destroyed. Isaiah 8 says this, verse 20, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. I'll share the opposite of truth and trading that truth for compromise and then living in the promise of Christ here in a letter again that I think will change your life. But we have to recognize there's no light in the lies. There's no light in sin. Gypsy Smith, an evangelist in the 1900s, traversed the Atlantic Ocean 45 times preaching the gospel nation to nation. And Gypsy Smith said this, I didn't go through your colleges and seminaries. They wouldn't have me. But I've been to the feet of Jesus where the only true scholarship is learned. And being at the feet of Jesus, that's our call. In a world that's traded the truth for lies, in a world that's traded holiness for sin, to say, I sit at the feet of Christ and I want to be one to show other people how they can find that true life and forgiveness. So again, how's the, the golden plover, this bird the size of a pigeon, how's it travel in 88 hour flight when it has energy for a 70 hour flight well how do they survive well the birds they fly in formation and one will take the lead and when the one takes the lead it takes the energy use off the ones behind but that one then that's in the lead flies to the the back of the formation and another bird takes the lead and he then is the one that takes more energy to make that flight, but the ones behind him can use less energy as they're following formation. And then he takes his step back to the rear of the formation and another one steps forward and they do this on and on and on until they make this flight. Perhaps we can learn more from the flight of a golden plover than we'd learn from 700,000 books in Alexandria, Egypt. Because what the golden plover shows us is what Jeremiah says in chapter 32, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. So Ian Bound said we need better men. 
Here's a quote from William Grady for Mothers, Daughters. No culture can exceed the virtue of its women. No culture can exceed the virtue of its women. Virtue means to have high moral standards. When you look at people that are celebrated in our, our culture and they're put forth in media, would, for the most part, most of them be considered women of virtue. Let me show you what virtue looks like. This is a letter from Hans Munsdorp. 1573 in Belgium. He and his wife, they're in prison. They're waiting to be executed. They're being executed for their faith in Christ. And Hans writes this letter to his wife. And after he's written this letter, then he is executed. All because, again, they refuse to renounce Christ. Here's the difference between Alexandria and the selfish and the sin. And then living in virtue from sitting at the feet of Jesus. Here's what Hans wrote. An affectionate greeting to you, my beloved wife, whom I love from the heart. I cherish you above every other creature. And truth, for the sake of which we must count all things lost, we love him above all. I herewith exhort you, my beloved lamb, with the apostle, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in faith, and suffer yourself not to be moved from your purpose. The prophet says, Woe to the rebellious children that forsake the Lord, the fountain of life. Hence, my beloved, hearken not to them, for their works shall be found wood, straw, and stubble in the day of judgment. Be valiant of good cheer. Cast the troubles that assail you upon the Lord. He will not forsake you. Cleave to him, and you will not fail. Love God above all. Have love and truth. Love your salvation and keep your promises to the Lord. You see, that's the difference between a, a life committed to say, I believe that he is the light and he is the truth. And it doesn't matter all the pomp and circumstance in Alexandria. We want to be in the place where we know that our life is in alignment with Christ. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 20 says, Wisdom cries, How long will scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? How long will scoffers scoff? And fools hate knowledge. We see it all across the, the nation. We see it in, in different cultures around the world. We see it too often, unfortunately, in people that claim to believe in Christ. And how long will fools hate knowledge? Here's what Solomon says is the solution. Speaking from wisdom standpoint, if you turn at my reproof, I'll pour out my spirit to you and make my words known. To turn at my reproof means when there is wisdom there that calls us to repent, we turn. We go the opposite direction of sin. We go the opposite direction of self. And Daniel Cruz expands on this. Proverbs says, if you turn at my reproof, you have two people in a church listening to the same message. One leaves with very little understanding. Yet the other receives a great deal of understanding and revelation for their personal season. Why? Because the first one did not turn when God spoke to the heart to not go someplace, to not do something, to control that anger, forgive that person, turn the TV program off, stop that conversation. 
but the other person, they turned when they were reproved. For many today, the Spirit of God is saying, turn. Turn from lukewarmness. Turn from adulterous affairs. Turn from your covetousness. Turn from your idleness. Turn from not caring for the lost in your city. Turn from your indifference. Turn, turn, turn. And God is calling us, God is calling us back to what we used to do before we let our hearts grow cold. To come back to spending time with Christ, to come back to longing for his presence, to come back to inviting others to the house of God, to come back to honoring God with our life, to come back to the truth. You know, John Wesley said it well, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven and how to land on that happy shore. At the heart of it, everybody wants to know what is the the purpose of life and what takes place beyond this life. And Wesley himself says the answer is found in Scripture. And he says, give me Scripture at any price. And when we take Scripture and it becomes our guide in our life, again, we stop listening to our self-talk and we start talking out loud to ourselves, preaching the Word of God to ourselves. And when people say, be afraid, we say, no, The Lord says, I don't give you a spirit of fear, but one of confidence. When the world's feeling lonely and people are isolated in their hearts, we say, in Christ, I know he is the one that never leaves me nor forsakes me. And when somebody says, you know what, that's impossible, we say, all things are possible to him who believes because nothing is too difficult for thee, O Lord. Speaking, confessing scripture over our lives, over our situation, knowing in faith that as we see things finished in Christ and speak forth the promises therein, life becomes a place where we say in passion, you know, I want to be a better man. I want to be a virtuous woman. I want to sit at the feet of Christ and then be his witness in this world. Sir Walter Scott, the author, historian from the 1700s, when he's on his deathbed, he told his son, bring me the book. And his son would famously say, what book? To which Walter Scott would respond, there's only one book that we call the book. And for that, his son brought scripture and they sat and they shared the Bible together and lived there in that place of peace, even in that uncertainty because they could say, my life is in Christ. Again, God is looking for better men and no culture can exceed the virtue of its women. And so with that thought, You know, a moment ago, I shared Han's letter, and it's a powerful testimony. But he's not the only one that wrote a letter. His wife that he wrote the letter to, Janikin Munsdorp, she also wrote a letter. After her husband had been executed, she wrote a letter because she was pregnant. She gave birth in prison. And shortly thereafter, they're going to execute her for her faith. But Janikin, here is virtue. She writes a letter to that new infant. And when you stop and say, you know, what does it look like to be a better man? Or what does it look like to be a virtuous woman? What does it look like to stand against a culture that is traded for that Alexandria lifestyle of just the pomp and circumstance at the cost of integrity? Trading pleasures and selfishness at the expense of holiness. Maybe playing church instead of being committed to the one who laid down his life and took it back up again. 
And when you listen to what Janikin said, here is the heart's cry from a, a virtuous believer, a virtuous woman, and what's on her mind as she's about to be executed for her faith. And let this story be a story that changes your life, not to just listen and be inspired, but to say, I want that too. So what does a, a believer, a virtuous woman say to her infant daughter while she's knowing she's about to be executed for her faith by a world steeped in, in that same nonsense we found in Alexandria? Here's what Janikin wrote. The true love of God and wisdom of the Father strengthen you in virtue, my dearest child. The Lord of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the Lord of Israel, keep you in his virtue, strengthen and confirm your understanding in his truth. My dear little child, I commend you to the Almighty that he will keep you and let you grow up in his hand. This is my heart's request of the Lord. You are yet so young, whom I trust that I must leave here in this wicked, evil, perverse world. Since I must leave you here and you are here deprived of father and mother, I'll commend you to the Lord. He will govern you and be a father to you, so you shall have no lack. If only fear God, for he will be the father of the orphans and protector of the widows. My dear lamb, since I am now delivered up to death and must leave you here alone, I must, through these lines, cause you to remember then when you obtained understanding, endeavor to fear God, see and examine why and for whose name we both died. Be not ashamed to confess us before the world, for it is the way which the prophets and apostles went and the narrow way which leads into eternal life. My dear child, this is my request of you. Since you are still very little and young, I write this as you are but a month old. As I am soon now to offer up my sacrifice, I leave you with this. Above all things, seek the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and whatever you need besides shall be added unto you. I pray you that whenever you live, when you grow up, and begin to have understanding, you conduct yourself well and honestly. Oh, that it had pleased the Lord that I might have brought you up. I should so gladly have done my best with respect to it. But it seems that is not the Lord's will. I must now pass through this narrow way which the prophets and martyrs of Christ passed through. I know that he is faithful and faithfully keeps his promises. Thus, my poor orphan child, always be resigned. Though I and your father are now taken from you, know you have a father in heaven. And if you follow that which is good and seek peace and ensue it, you shall receive the crown of eternal life. I herewith commend you to the Lord and to the comforting word of his grace. And I bid you adieu once more. Once more adieu, my dearest upon the earth. God is looking for better men. And no culture can exceed the virtue of its women. There is no light in sin and selfishness and compromise. And as Jesus proclaimed that he is the light of the world, he calls those who follow him to let their light so shine that the Father is glorified. 
If you and I have not been sitting at the feet of Jesus, if we've not been living life consistent with life in the light, may we turn, turn, turn unto the one who is truly the life that lighteth all men.